Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed Local Provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor, security sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIP. Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house and giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions for your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner and an investment advisor with over 20 years' experience in providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm a Dave Ramsey local provider. I also have an MBA in finance and been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 20 years. And I'm Gordon Leppard, financial advisor with Richard Young Associates. Good to be here today, guys. Yeah, it is. We have a good Saturday. It is. We have a great Saturday here. We're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly radio show. We are right here every Saturday like today from 9 to 10 a.m. You can also go to our website, moneymd.net. We have a link in the top right-hand corner that you can stream us. Uh, Obviously, go on the dial at 1230 a.m. if you're driving around the CSRA, or you can go to our podcast site, which you can, again, find on our website. And uh, we have prior shows. So if you've missed a show from the past, you can go check it out. Exactly. Yeah. Do check us on our website, moneymd.net, and link to us and and email us your questions, too. We'd love to hear from you. Um, You can link to us there at moneymd.net, or you can email us directly at info at moneymd.net. We'd love to have your questions. Um, well, guys, I mean, before we get into the show, I mean, we've got an interesting week coming yeah. up here with the Super Bowl, Super Bowl coming, coming up, up here in just a little over a week. That's right. Yeah, Carolina's I mean, we got, playing again. We got the Panthers Love playing again. We got our, our local team here and uh, the Broncos. I mean, yeah. that'll be a good game it's kind between of the, the two quarterbacks. Yeah, they, it's old versus the new, so it's the largest spread yeah. between starting quarterbacks. Peyton is 39 and Cam Newton is um, 26. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it is pretty amazing. Amazing talent, those no two guys. Yeah, incredible, uh, you know, history with Peyton. brains and brawn. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> both teams yeah. have just such a dynamic offense. Should really be. It's gonna be fun. Interesting game, kind of like the Clemson, you know, Alabama game. I'm, I'm pulling for Carolina. Are you? Yeah, yeah I always I pull too. for Carolina. Right? I am too. I'm pulling for. <laughs> I'm pulling for this Carolina. <laughs> yeah. on the and right as side. always, yes. I'm right. the outsider here, uh, going <laughs> for the going for the old man, uh, Peyton. Okay. Going yeah. for the Broncos. Have you seen what the line yeah. is? I have, I haven't seen what the spread is. Gosh, uh, I don't know. We'll I, bet see. Carolina, I bet you Carolina's favored by a point or two. They have a great offense. Yeah, should be interesting. All right, but moving right along to finances, because you know there's a lot going on in the world of finances. Right, the stock market is in a Correction, ouch! It's still, going up, you know. It's going it's, down. Yeah. It has gone gone up a little bit here recently, but still, you know. I mean, it's been a tough market, and um, so we're going to talk about that a little bit. We're going to talk about the classic market timing mistake. Um, very interesting article out of CNBC, and uh, you know, I mean, a lot of people are making this classic mistake. So we're going to dig yeah, into that a little bit. That is a great article. We're going to follow that up with um, five reasons why you shouldn't hate budgeting. This comes from uh, Dave Ramsey and his group and um, <clears throat> kind of puts in perspective a little bit. A lot of people look at, at budgeting as restrictive, but it really is exactly the opposite. It is a freeing exercise. So we're going to talk about why you want to budget and give you some tips on how to budget as we go through that. That's right. And then we're going to talk about uh, the Super Bowl and see if uh, see if Super Bowl dollars 
are budgeted into your budget. <laughs> you know? Can you afford to wow. make it to the Super Bowl? I saw uh, some of those ticket prices. Man, uh, maybe not. It's incredible the dollars that are surrounding not only getting there, yeah. but you know the dollars that are associated with the Super Bowl itself. Mm-hmm. That. Uh, I'm going to quiz you guys on to see. Okay. Yeah, all of football has turned into just a huge business. <laughs> it is. And even it is. at the college level, it's Absolutely. just big money. So that'll be very interesting. Okay, but we're going to start off here, though, with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this comes from the uh, the World Bank, and um, the U.S. economy represents 22% of the global economy. So about a fourth, roughly a fourth. The Chinese economy represents about 13% of the global economy. So, you know, it's interesting. I, I, you know, you combine those two together, it's about a third of the global economy. But a lot of people just focus on the U.S. And if you only focus on the U.S., you're missing out on, you know, 78% of the rest of the world. That's right. I mean, that is a large number to miss out on. It really is. And, I mean, it is interesting. I mean, people talk about China being such a big, you know, player on the world stage in terms of the economy and the global economy and the stock market. Um, but, you know, only 13 percent, um, even though that's a big chunk, mm-hmm. you know, for one country, it's about half is, you yeah, know, the, the U.S., maybe 60 percent of the U.S. And so it's it's, uh, you know, it's a small part, even though they're not doing very well economically. You know, they don't really control the whole world. They're not doing very well, but their GDP is like 5%. Almost 5%. You know, it's interesting you put that in perspective. 4.5% GDP growth. They decreased decreased a lot uh, over time, which is... It's, it's normal. I mean, it's yeah. to be expected. So, But, yeah, that is an interesting fact about U.S. and China. Yeah, that is good. All right, that leads us up to our first topic, though, and that is the classic market timing mistake. Um, you know, guys, I mean, we see this. People don't call it market timing, but we see this time and again, particularly in the middle of corrections. Um, so the question is, did you sell out of the market this past week? Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> I mean, we didn't. Obviously, we didn't. But, I mean, hey, how about the 550-point dive last week in the Dow, the week before last in the Dow? Um, did that finally get you to sell, if you're out there listening? Or was it one of the many headlines about the trillions of dollars that have been wiped out by the stock market in the worst start in Dow history for the year since ni- 1897? That's a long time. Yeah, I mean, the That's worst start of the S&P 500 since the Great Depression in 1929. Um, so far in January, believe it or not, investors have yanked seven billion dollars out of stock funds, according to to Thomas um, Thompson Reuters Lipper data. Investors have put more than three billion dollars in money market funds um, over the same period of time. So there's ten million dollars, ten billion dollars, mm-hmm. billion with a B that has not gone into the stock market, has come out of the stock market in most cases. Um, you know, they just Put it under a mattress. Who knows where it's all gone? Yeah. Um, but the more alarming data really came from last month when investors pulled $48 billion from the stock market out of stock funds. That's similar to 2008 during the financial crisis whenever investors pulled $49 billion out of stock funds in September 2008 and then another $55 billion in October 2008. So people are pulling as much money out today out of the stock market as they did back in 2008. That's amazing. Uh, over $100 billion in two months. Yeah, I mean, that is just hard to believe, you know. Not the best timing when you consider back in 2008. That was right close to the bottom of the yeah. market, right before it went up like 90% over the next next year. You know, from March 2009 through March 2010. So, 
you know, kudos to investors for great timing, right? Not. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. Yeah. I mean, here's the problem. You know, if investor missed the 36% drop in the S&P in 2008, even worse, they bailed on the markets in, in the middle of the carnage. They probably also missed the 26% gain in the stock market in 2009, um, the next three good years that followed. I mean, they almost always get back in at higher prices. It never seems to work out. Yeah, in 2009, um, the first two months of the year, January, February, were down another 20% in addition to the 40% from 08, right? That's right. But even mm-hmm. so, the S&P made 29% in 2009. That's right. So Came um, all the way back. Yeah, you can't time this stuff. And in 2011, investors pulled another $94 billion from stock funds. And in 2012, they pulled $129 billion. And that's when the S&P 500 was up 16%. I mean, hundreds of billions of dollars pulled out of stocks during a period of time when a stay-the-course strategy would have netted you about a 9% cumulative gain. So staying involved, staying invested, and it doesn't say anything about putting money in or doing rebalancing. That would have helped that that number as well. So, you know, the global financial crisis created such a high level of risk aversion that people didn't just wait for the start of the the rebound to get back in. In some cases, they waited for years. And um, Christina uh, Hooper, who's an investment strategist with the Allianz Global Investor, she says, I can't tell you how many investors I came across in 2011, 2012, and even 2013, who had missed out on a lot of opportunities in the comeback in the stock market, and they were still sitting in cash. And I run across those we people still same. today. Yeah, yep. we see the all same the thing all the time. And, I see people five years, ten, <clears throat> even eight years sure. later here that are still sitting mostly in cash. And cash actually loses money every year when you compare it to inflation. Exactly. Go figure. It does. It does. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. And, you know, it, it, it's what... Lipper's head of America's research team, they call the dilemma of the do-nothing investor. It's really more like the advantage of the do-nothing investor. Um, More often than not, the do-nothing investor does better. You know, it's a rocky ride, they say, but the do-nothing investor would have been fine and avoid all the headaches, um, referring to those who stayed invested in throughout the crash of 2008. You know, the big issue is, you know, what do you do when you go to cash? You have to be right twice, according to this guy, Mitch uh, Goldberg, financial advisor and president of Dix Hills, New York-based client-first strategy. You know, first, he says, you have to be right about getting your timing correct when you sell, you know, and if you're selling because you're, it's, it's your panic uh, reaction to a down market, you know, I think it's fair to say that you're probably going to be, that's going to, you're going to be part of the decision, that's going to be part of the decision you get wrong. You know, the second part you have to get right, though, is your timing of your buy orders when you get back in the market. And if you're waiting for the perfect time to buy, you'll never pull the trigger. You're going to be wrong every time. Yeah, and, and, and here's a key that many investors who plan to be smarter than everyone else, you know, or the herd, they miss. Especially in markets like investors are faced uh, last week with huge swings in the norm day to day, a move to cash could actually work against the investor to a great degree uh, when there's more volatility in the market. Um, Friday had a rally in the global equities in the case in point of how investors who just binged on cash are missing out on the big rebounds. So, you know, you've got to really stay focused on the long term here. 
That's right. Okay, we'll continue this discussion when we come back from the break. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net, or you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider, and Gordon Leppard, who is a financial advisor at Richard Young Associates, along with us. And we are continuing our discussion here before the break about the classic market timing mistake. Um, Guys, you know, it's amazing to me how many people are pulling the trigger in this down market and are making this classic mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we just looked at some numbers here um, from Lipper. About $7 billion that have been pulled from stock funds so far this year, just in first half of January, essentially. And, you know, you look back at December and last month, $48 billion were pulled from stock funds um, in December. That's almost equivalent to what they pulled out of stock funds in October of 2008. Yeah, it's pretty consistent when you look back at these downturns in the market. People are pulling their funds out, and um, we obviously, no one can predict the market going forward, but historically it's been a bad move to do this. It has been a terrible move to do this. I mean, people pulled over $100 billion out of stock funds in the in close to the bottom of the market in 2008 and 2009, and then the market turned right around and made 29% in 2009. Mm-hmm. That was including the bad months. Um, it made almost 90% from the bottom for the next 12 months. Um, you know, people make this classic mistake time and again, and they're doing it again. Mm-hmm. They're doing it this month. Um, so that's why we're talking about. That's it. what we're talking about. If you're out there listening, you know, don't be part of part of this. Don't get caught in this classic trap. You know, it's just classic. Um, yeah, I mean, Alliance Global Investors, you know, a company research company here, they provided a good example of just how much investors can lose out by missing just a few days. Um, their economic research team looked at a period from 1973 through the end of 2014, comparing four different approaches to investing in the U.S. stock market. Investors who miss the three biggest days each year see their gains almost totally wiped out just by trying to time it and miss the three biggest days, which is what the classic you know, market timing mistake results in because you pull out right before the market starts up and, and has the big recovery. Um, yeah, and the first approach... You know, $100 is invested on the very first day of the year, and then another $100 added at the start of each year on January 1st thereafter. And they do that for for 40 years here, four decades. Um, only putting just $100 a year in, the total after four decades was they ended up with $52,251. So you're saying fi- you put 4000 in and got 52 back? Uh, that's it. Over the course that's of 40 it. years Over without the, doing anything. Exactly. Over wow. the course of 40 years. That's, that's good math. You're <clears throat> exactly right. Impressive. Yeah, 100 bucks a year is all you put in, and you get 52000 back. And that's just January 1st, just a stupid just first day of the year. Mm. Boom. You know, no timing involved. The next one, though, the market timing. 
driving approach. An investor put the same $100 in at the start of each year, but he missed the top three days because he's looking for the bottom, and then the, you know, the market bounces up, and you get in late, and you miss those big recovery days. So maybe he misses the top three days. His total return was only $2,953. Wow. Ouch. I mean, so... You know, he if that's the gain that you're talking about here, he missed almost all of the gain. Now, he made almost nothing compared to the previous approach of just doing it on January 1st. That's horrible. And then only slightly better was the return from the investor with a hundred, investing $100 on the perfect day each year. This is interesting. I mean, this is amazing here. It is amazing. At the lowest index day of the year, they put in their 100 bucks. best day of the year to invest they added $100 on that lowest day each year for 40 years. The, 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 that approach netted a total of 54355 It was only 4% better than putting it on the first day of the year. So what you're saying is their crystal ball was fully charged every single and year. And they got it right. Every single year 40 for 40 times. years. Yep. Boom. Right 40 years, and it only got them like an extra couple thousand bucks. Wow. I mean, it was like, why bother? <laughs> you yeah. know? And that's yeah. if you had a it's perfect impossible. crystal ball. Exactly. So, I mean, the problem is we can never predict when the best days will occur. So we have to stay fully invested all the time to experience them. You know, most days in any given year, both positive and negative, will typically produce a net zero, flat performance. Um, it's those big days, either up or down, which make all the difference, and that's where most of the gain comes from. Those big days in the year. So if you don't, if you're not in there all year to get your share of those big days, you're missing out. Yeah, the key problem we see when investors go to cash has a lot to do with really procrastination. I mean, you know, they think about getting back into the market in a conceptual way, but when it comes down to it. They usually don't get in until the market is a lot higher because, quite frankly, they're just not comfortable until the market is higher and the economy feels good. And, you know, and if the stock market bounces and and rips higher, they say to themselves, well, I could have gotten in lower, so now I'll wait for another pullback. Then the pullback, you know, doesn't occur and they're sitting there still in cash trying to get back in and it just continues to, to, to fester. They never get back in, so they've missed these huge run-ups over time. And we see it personally from folks that have done that in the past. We do. We do. It just goes on and on. They never, they never, you know, seem to stop that cycle of missing the good days and, you know, getting in a higher price. And, you know, it just continues to cost them money. Yeah, I mean, the, the field of behavioral finance has demonstrated how our brains often think wrongly when it comes to evaluating pain of losses versus the pleasure of gains. Um, you know, the market has historically paid investors a premium over cash and bonds precisely because it requires investors to endure times of volatility. Without volatility, we'd have no reason to expect higher long-term gains. And the psychology of panic is easy to understand. You know, sell-offs are by nature disorderly. They create the contagion of fear, and investors believe that you know, when stocks go down 10% in value, there's there's something the market knows that they don't know. Um, <laughs> you know, the truth, the truth is, it's not. I mean, people, people don't know exactly why the market goes up or down, mm-hmm. and so you, you have to stay in there and, and just, you know, avoid that, that mentality. Uh, yeah, that's right, Steve. And in reality, it's just a herd, and, and herding in this case can be dangerous. Uh, it can be dangerous for most investors. 
there's always a good case to be made for rebalancing uh, from stocks that have run run up a lot into stocks that you know seem undervalued and that's one thing that we we talk about a lot uh, here Meyer said uh, it's good to be greedy like <laughs> Berkshire Hathaway's chairman and CEO Warren Buffett said through stock rebalancing I don't necessarily say if, if that's greed or if it's just a smart approach yeah I think yeah, it's so right. you know it's just kind of keeping things balanced and keeping them on a consistent track uh, as, as we move forward yeah, we don't have to succumb to the greed. To the greed, greed is good, you know, no. type philosophy of no. that, that movie. What was a bowler room or whatever it was. Um, anyway, yeah, Goldberg, you know, this is this guy we talked about earlier, his financial advisor. He said that you know retirees are naturally the most fearful, um, but it's the cash mentality rather than staying in equities that is the never-ending wealth destroyer pattern. And I agree with that. He says, you know, you're you're now giving up on an asset class that historically has been the hedge against inflation. And sure, inflation is non-existent according to the headline statistics. But you know, if you pay for health insurance, if you're retired, um, which seniors, you know, that's one of their bigger expense, they could easily be sending a big portion of their income, spending a big portion of their income on health care, and they're ground zero for the inflation pain. Um, so inflation does exist in segments, and I think it's more so for retirees than it is for maybe the average person, even in a flat year like last year for inflation. You know, there's a reason that the fame investors like Vanguard's group, Jack Bogle and Warren Buffett, sound like a broken record when they had say they keep reiterating the stay the mantra course. <clears throat> Um, stay the course mantra. You know, it's not just because they're millions and billions allowing them to do so with comfort. I mean, though that helps, it's because they're right. Yeah. So, and you look at Dave Ramsey. Line. He he talks about the same same strategy. You know, do some rebalancing, buy consistently. Um, you know, Susie Orman, Clark Howard. I mean, it's consistent when you look at the people that do education out there of how to invest. It's the people that are you know trying to sell you a product that try to scare you with the uh, the down markets. They're normal. Yeah, any professional worth their salt, you know, they, they, they agree you need to stay in the market, not try to time it. You'll hurt yourself trying to time markets like this. Yep. Um, you just need to be well diversified and allocated appropriately. All right, good topic, and that leads us up here to the question of the week. Yes, this question has to do with insurance, and uh, should I buy a separate policy to cover a major illness like cancer? And, um, you know, generally we recommend no. I mean, you know, you, you have life insurance, you have health insurance. Um, those those type of policies will um, will cover what you need to from a major standpoint. So we don't recommend the cancer policies. There, there are um, accidental death policies. They're just there are a million different little specific are. policies you can get, yeah. but the chances of any one of those very things small. happening are very very small. You need to get a broad policy that covers it all. Right, you right. know, life insurance covers it all, no matter what the cause is. That's right. You and, know, if, and medical insurance will cover you know cancer treatments and things like that. It's more of deductibles that you have to be concerned with. So yeah. all these small policies, no, they're a waste. May, no, maybe a disability policy. A disability. If you're concerned yeah. about income, yeah. you know, but those three pretty much cover yeah. the medical thing. That's so, right. Yeah. Don't don't buy those specific cancer policies. Okay, that leads up to our break here. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net or give us a call, Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back after these messages and GNN News. Stay with us.
Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider, and Gordon Leppard, who is a financial advisor at Richard Young Associates, along with us. And we're going to continue our uh, topic here, um, leading off our segment here with um, a new topic, and that is the five reasons you shouldn't hate budgeting. It's a DaveRamsey.com article. Yep. Um, Good stuff. Yeah, budgeting and fun in the same sentence usually don't occur. No, not, I think of fun as golf and cruises and not budgeting. budgeting. Uh, but budgeting allows you to do golf and cruises. That's the point, John. That's a good point. That's it. Uh, so budgeting is fun, 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 fun. Guys, about 32% of adults in the U.S. have a budget. Think about that. So One in three how people. many don't? <clears throat> that would be 68% are missing out on all... The, the fun. fun. All the fun. 68%. Well, if you, if you just think about your vacations while you're doing the budgeting, I think it could be fun. Yeah, there you go. I like that. You just got to kind of Create. redirect the energy. <laughs> right. And then if your Toward vacation does not follow you back home with oh, all the bills, it's that's even better. fun. That, that is fun, but See? being back home is not fun. So, yeah, I mean, but I think just focusing on the vacation while you're doing budgeting, the end goal, you know, and retirement, mm-hmm. having, yeah. you know, all that time and money that's what it boils to down go to. do what you want to do. I think that's the key. That's what it boils down to. So you may be one of those people who doesn't bu- budget, and if you thought of creating one sounds dreadful, as dreadful as waking up early on your day off, then uh, dread no more. I mean, knowing how to spend and save is really the key to winning with money. And the sooner that you start planning, the sooner that you're going to start winning with money. Let me repeat that. The sooner you start planning, the sooner you're going to start winning because you have to you have to plan to win. And, and you know, John, <clears throat> some people, they see budget as just a bad word. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and you use, uh, I think, spending plan later on. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing is, it's just it's a guide. Yeah. It's not a bad word. That's right. Absolutely. So so don't let those bad, bad vibes of uh, fear or being overwhelmed, you know, prevent you from taking that first step. So here are five reasons why having a spending plan makes you feel top you know, on top of the world. Steve? Yeah, first one here is you, you see where your money goes and where it shouldn't be going. Um, yeah, I mean, that that is a good one. I mean, because, you know, budgeting kind of sheds lights on light on where your money goes. It takes the uncertainty out of it, in, in my words. Um, you know, once you know that and you can see what areas are okay and, and what areas that you need to tweak, I mean, and to get your – to improve your situation – um, you know, that's really where you want to be. So it kind of takes that uncertainty out. And that's why you pay for, you know, you figure out, you know, do you pay for a premium satellite TV package if you only watch five channels? Um, is it a good idea to cancel that unused gym membership or, you know, just run around the block for free maybe? You know, <laughs> do what I do, run stairs maybe. Um, you know, little adjustments are enough to make you feel like you just got a raise, and that's the key. Yeah, so one of the things that Dave Ramsey talks about is 20% knowledge is a reason for success, but then 80% behavior. So th- these are some of the behaviors that you have to do in order to be successful. And it, and it always gets back to the behavior. Yes. You know, because if you does. don't apply that knowledge, then it's worthless. Right. doesn't matter how much knowledge you have. All right, number two here on the list, uh, it helps you accomplish your goals. Uh, bank rate, um, go, excuse me, bank, go banking rates. They did a survey, and it showed that over 57% of people actually have money goals in 2016, either to um, pay down debt spend less or save more you know the best way that they can pull those goals off is by 
telling their money what to do. And that's that's making specific goals, okay? Make your goals specific, measurable, and realistic. You know, whether it's cash flowing Christmas or curbing your grocery spending or, you know, telling your car loan to just hit the road, um, you'll be on the right way. You know, you'll be on the right track, and, and it comes back to setting that plan in motion. Yeah, and you have to, like you said, you have to be intentional. So you have to sit down. You have to write checks out to specific. where measurable that's realistic right. that's right and then you got to be you got to action it and you got to make sure you're, you're writing those checks number three here on the list is it makes your fear fade away um that fear of the unknown it can scare you into not budgeting i mean you may think how bad is my money situation that you that you really don't want to find out but once you lay the numbers out there you could very well learn that things aren't as bad as you thought i mean the dread would evaporate um, because you can kind of see the good. Maybe there is some, some bad and not some not so attractive. But then you start to work on those areas that, that you need to get healthy. And a budget takes that load off your mind because you know you're, you have a plan and you're kind of stepping towards those goals. So it makes the fear fade away. Yeah, another reason here is the process gets pretty easy pretty quickly. You know, I like that one because I agree with it. I mean, budgeting is kind of like that first week of school. You know, it's scary at first, but in no time it gets really easy. Or maybe, you know, your diet. You know, your diet is is tough that first week, but once you get on it, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, it gets easier, right, or any big project. Um, You know, in fact, I mean, if you use the Every Dollar app that Dave Ramsey has on his website, um, you can get your budget ready in like 10 minutes. And connect it to your bank so that your transactions automatically show up. I mean, how easy is that? You can do the same thing on Mint.com. Yeah, and, right, you know, There's right. some other websites. Dave had some uh, software a couple years ago. He probably still has it out there. But I basically took his format, his um, categories and kind of layout, and put it into Excel. And so I personally, I've used Mint before. I've used Quicken. Um, but I just use it in Excel, and I just kind of, you know, sit down with Tammy, and we, we do our budget out, and um, I have to track it in Excel, but you have to have a tool to track it. That's one yeah. thing a lot of people miss is that once you set the budget up, you've got to then go and say, well, this is how much you spend on gas. This is how much you spend on groceries. So there has to be a follow-up mechanism, and every dollar is a great tool to use. Yeah, yeah that's true. I like Excel because it's customizable, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and it's and we have a great template for that, by the way. Yep. So if any of our listeners want that template in Excel to, to set up your budget, um, email us, and we'll shoot it right to you. We'd love to. The last one he has here on the list is a budget freeze you up. You know, some people that, like we talked about earlier, they think the word budget is, is a bad word or another way of saying you can't have any fun, you know. <laughs> but, in fact, it's just the opposite. You can have fun. And making a plan means you direct your money. You tell your money what to do instead of your money, you know, telling you what to do, basically, uh, or you owe me for this. If you can't afford to buy some gifts uh, for an upcoming birthday or hit the beach for a long weekend, have at it. You know, have a good time, but make sure that it fits in your budget. And remember, you know, it just to uh, stick with the plan there. Yeah, that's right. And so don't don't dread making this budget. I mean, it's really the aspirin that you need to cure any money headaches that you may have. It replaces your fear with hope. Um, so does that sound good? I mean, that's a reasonable plan, mm-hmm. and you can join the other thirty-two percent of people who keep an eye on their money, and it's better than not knowing where it goes. And um, as Dave says in here, we're 100% sure of that. So, you know, a third of people do budgets, two-thirds don't. So if you're not doing a budget, it doesn't have to be complicated. Keep it simple. To me, yeah, I'm sorry. To me, it takes the anxiety out of 
out of out of managing your money, you know, and it allows you, like Gordon said, to plan for fun, to plan for for you know vacations and other things, and to do it stress free because you're putting money aside, you know, every month for that. And when the vacation comes up, it's paid for. Mm-hmm. You can do it without guilt, and you can you know plan your fun in into your budget, and so it just takes away all the anxiety of trying to figure out where your money should go because you have it already planned out and you're following a plan. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so I think that's a great, great way to go. All right, well, that leads us up here to our uh, prescription of the week. Yes, this prescription has to do with loaning money to family. Be very careful. Um, For sure. Yeah, what we see a lot of times is is this loan to family members, you know, it ends up being giving because they don't pay it back. Um, and that creates a lot of ill feelings. I see people that will buy cars, and they'll have to get a cosigner on it. And the reason why the cosigner is required is the bank won't lend money to that individual. So you're taking on that credit risk is yeah, what it boils down to. They have terrible credit, obviously. You know, if they, they wouldn't come to you if they still had any That's right. Any balance left on their credit cards or anywhere else. They, they usually typically go to family last. And so, you know, that means they have terrible credit typically when they come asking you for a loan. Um, so my philosophy is, you know, don't don't even give loans to family. Just give them a gift. You know, if you're going to help them, give them a gift because, you know, if it's so much money that you can't afford to give them that as a gift, then you shouldn't be giving them a loan either. And I think if there ought to be some kind of agreement, um, I like to, when I talk to folks on this, you know, if they're given uh, to a son or daughter or whoever, have them have a requirement to do something and maybe it's reading a book from from dave ramsey or he has a class the fpu class make them go to a class in order to get the money because you're going to be if you just give them money a lot of times it's not going to fix the problem they need to have some knowledge and some uh, process and some training so if you make it a requirement for them to go get something then that can be a win-win for both parties yeah exactly don't just give them food for a day i mean teach them the fish right? right and so um yeah, you definitely want to tie some strings to it. I think that's perfectly appropriate, and I think you want to you want to try to make it a gift rather than a loan because, you know, a loan just sets you up to ruin a relationship because, you know, they're not going to pay it back on time, and then you're going to be in the position of a lender, you know, and you're going to be, you know, always the heavy. They're mm-hmm. not going to want to be around you because every time it's going to come up in conversation. It's just going to be very awkward, you know, at Thanksgiving and <laughs> yeah, Christmas. It just doesn't. Don't. The same. Turkey doesn't taste the same. It, does. no, it doesn't, doesn't taste the same. Don't get in that situation. You know, either don't give them a loan at all. Just tell them you can't afford it. You can't do it. Or, you know, give them a gift if you can afford to help yeah, them. Right. You know, that's that's the bottom line. Okay, that leads up to our break here. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net or give us a call, 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider, and Gordon Leppard, who is a financial advisor at Richard Young Associates, along with us. And we are, um, well, we're going to kind of kind of take a break here and talk about politics a, a little bit, a guys. A bonus? A bonus topic here, and yeah. that is politics. Yeah, I mean, we got the elections, the the 
the uh, is it Iowa? Iowa, Iowa caucus. Caucus yeah. coming up here this coming week. <clears throat> right. And uh, you know it's interesting. I mean, Trump didn't show up for the uh, debate this week, and you know that's we'll uh, see how that affects. We'll see yeah. how that affects. We'll see how all this turmoil affects you know in, in Iowa and where that leads. You know, I mean it's it's uh. It's a messy season, isn't it? I mean, oh, for, for the sure. Republicans, for sure. So it'll begin interesting to see how this unfolds. It's going to unfold very quickly. You know, you hear people talking about it. I mean, really, you know, Super Tuesday is what, in March? Mm-hmm. Um, so here in about a month, you know, a month and a half, we're going to know very quickly who the nom- most likely the nominee is. Yeah, yeah so I, I the, think you'll start seeing a lot of the other ones fall off. Yeah, the other thing, question, quick. and maybe you're kind of getting into this a little bit, is the, you know, the, do the markets um, do good or bad during a political season? Exactly. We get that question all the time, and we do. there's just loads and loads of data, right? There's been 25 elections over the last 100 years. <laughs> there has, yeah. I mean, that's, right. that's the problem. The statisticians exactly. out there are like, that's not a lot. That's not a lot. Yeah, I mean, 25 elections over the last 100 years. You can't take 25 data points. I mean, think back over, and we talked about this last night at one of our, our client review meetings, T- think back over the last you know, few election cycles, okay? I mean, 2012 was a really good year in the stock market. 2008 Not so was a so terrible much. year in the stock market. <laughs> yeah. You know, 2004 was a good year in the stock market. Mm-hmm. 2000 was a down year in the stock market, down about 10%, I believe. 2000, uh, you know, 1996 was a great year in the stock market, up about 20, I believe. 1992 was a decent so, year in the stock market. So what are you saying about 2016? Come on. Yeah, that's the point, you know? <laughs> I mean, you know, there are two down years in the last, you know, yeah. dozen, you know, half dozen or so. There's dozen. no correlation. There's no correlation. You cannot predict anything based on that. Um, the statistics, you can look at the statistics and you'll come up with some an answer. Sure. Because 2008 was so bad, it yeah. weighs, it makes all of them look bad. Yeah. Um, you take 25 years and you mix a 2008 in there, oh, and, yeah. it's, and it's it probably really going to look horrible. 2000 wasn't a real good year either, so it wasn't. You can't make decisions based on election years. Republican, Democrat, you know, at the end of the day, it boils down to earnings of companies. That's right. You yeah, peel everything else back, and earnings of companies long term will drive the market. Yeah, so don't worry about the election cycle. It has nothing to do with the stock market of any significance, yeah. okay? I mean, it's about the economy. Bonus tip from the money doctors there today. There you go. Yeah. Bonus tip. So and that leads up to her. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, coming out of uh, campaign and presidential season, to, uh, talk to the last football seat, uh, game of the year. I'm so glad Carolina made it. Yeah. <laughs> Just makes me, yeah. makes my heart yeah, warm I mean, to have a Carolina yeah, in the Super Steve, Bowl. Steve, I think it's just you, like you, to just say that it's Carolina. It's not a Clemson, it's a you, Carolina you, Panthers. Gamecocks. You're just kind of segue on to anybody, don't you? You're, you're like a leech, you know? You just latch on to anybody's back, you know, <laughs> you know, just so you can. They didn't call them the Clemson Panthers. They called them the Carolina Panthers. So. <laughs> anybody with a little success, so you'll be trying to call the, the Clemson Gamecocks or something here you no, know, next be the, year. Uh, the Alabama Gamecocks. <laughs> <laughs> this year, right. Let's see next year. <laughs> let's hey, let's take a look at the dollar surrounding the Super Bowl, and, and it's just it's crazy uh, the money that's involved, not only on the uh, you know NFL level, also the, the college football level. But here's here's some statistics and some different things surrounding uh, the Super Bowl. Do you guys know how much a 30-second ad is going to cost this year for the Super Bowl? Uh, is oh, this man. a test? Yeah, this is million, four million, right? huh? Four. What do you think, Steve? I don't know. Two million. All right. Just hit an all-time high of $5 million Gosh. What for a 30-second ad. It better be good. <laughs> it better be <laughs> really good. Dollars. Uh, you know, we got a local firm that has done that before, yeah. right? Well, it they're was, doing it this year. Are they really? Yeah. Tax, uh, what is tax, it? Slayer. tax Slayer. No, okay. Yeah. Well, there's another 
local uh, group that's doing one this year. Who's that? It's crazy. Um, SunTrust. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I don't, see, I don't see how it could possibly pay off wow. for a, a company, I but I mean, maybe they. Have you ever heard of the company GoDaddy? Yeah, for sure. Okay, well, that's why it was on the Super Bowl a couple years ago with some pretty interesting ads. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. Hey, let, let's take it down to the field for just a second. Guess what? The players are getting bonused. Uh, the winning team. Whoa, the winning team player might get bonused uh, for that game. Gosh, what do you think? A hundred thousand. What do you think, Steve? Uh, you to my each player? Yeah, each uh, player. Yeah, I don't know, a couple hundred thousand. Okay, uh, it's it's right at a hundred thousand. Okay, uh, per winning team player. That's and pocket then, changes. Yeah, about guys. half. The, well, that's just for one game. Though, yeah, you know, this is on top of their other salary, and then half of that basically for the the losing the team. losers. Yeah, the the losers. Right, <laughs> right. Okay. Well, you know, Peyton Manning and the Denver Broncos they celebrated an upset, you know, over Tom Brady and the the Patriots. And the Carolina Panthers, they clinched their spot in the league championship for the first time in 11 years. Uh, spirits may have been deflated after fans found out just how much <laughs> it would actually cost uh, to go see the, the matchup live. For Super Bowl fans looking to travel to the Bay Area from either Denver or Charlotte uh, on Saturday to watch the game, they're going to have to, and this is just for two nights' stay, attending the game uh, and then departing on Monday, they're going to shell out over $7,000. Now, that doesn't count if they want to eat or drink while they're there. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know, so over seven grand just to go go hang out for the weekend, Steve. Yeah, that's right. That's that's. Uh, yeah, does, that inclu- does that include the ticket? I don't think that includes the ticket, does it? Yeah, it does. It does Atten- attend the, the game. Okay. Uh, Imagine how big of an HD TV you could buy for that. Yeah. You could watch it and have really? it for And then have the TV forever. There yeah. you go. Um, yeah, I mean, the average ticket resale price, according to, uh, I guess it's StubHub or somebody here, um, you know, for the, 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 the big game on the 7th, is going to, it was last Sunday, it was listed as $5,335. Wow. Just for one ticket, according to the search engine. That price went down slightly on Monday to $5,178. Um, wow. I mean, that tops last year's price of $4,271, and it's the highest average retail price recorded since they began tracking data back in 2011. So, man. That's a, just for that's one big, ticket. I mean, most people go to uh, the games with a you know loved one or something. The only <laughs> ticket two. I think could, that could be more expensive than that would be the Masters. Yeah, yeah, maybe so, maybe so. Most most Super Bowl tickets are only available resale. The NFL distributes them to um, the cities and the athletes and so forth. The um, the face value of a ticket for Super Bowl Forty Nine, which was last year, was about twenty five hundred. So it's really spiked up. I think the matchup is creating a lot of interest. Yeah, that and you know. Being in the Bay Area, Silicon Valley, you know, money is just flowing like crazy all over the place. So, you know, the Bay Area, they're incredibly wealthy around there right now. A lot of people they have money and they're interested in going. And so the cost really isn't as much an issue. So they're able, mm-hmm. they're able to do it. Yeah. But they're used to the, I mean, it's cost of living out there is huge. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, nearly a third of the uh, ticket demand from Calif- came from California before the championship teams had even been determined, according to StubHub. You know, and that portion could remain high over the next week due to just the number of regional transplants in the Bay Area, you know, that they say. Um, you know, so remember, I mean, the <clears throat> – the, the, <clears throat> 
it's the super hub for the likes of some of the world's largest technology companies. So, I mean, the Bay Area is yeah. a big draw. And obviously you know, the second people. second highest demand is North Carolina. I mean, they had 15-1 and one record, and people are hoping to go out there and see them make history. So uh, there will be some – I bet you there will be quite a few people from North Carolina going out there. And, and whether you're traveling from Charlotte or Denver, mm-hmm. flight prices are about the same. Yeah, you know, right, uh, right. From, from Denver is about $900. From Charlotte's about 950 so it really doesn't matter how close you are uh, out there. They always, you know, they, they line that stuff up. Yeah, well, in fact, I mean, airlines actually hike their prices here um, the minute that the championship right. teams were announced. Yeah, so you're right. You're right. I don't know if it's still 900 bucks anymore. I mean, it, it might be more now. Um, yeah, so they, they, they went on, they, according to airfarewatchdog.com, they hiked the prices immediately. Yeah, and a lot of the uh, hotels within a two-mile radius, um, you know, going for $600 a night. I mean, I wonder if that's like a Hampton Inn with yeah, breakfast. Yeah, that probably is a cheap hotel. Maybe. Oh, well, that's, that's usually within like two miles or so of the yeah. stadium. You know? Some of the listings are as high as $10,000 for the weekend. Ooh, so That's probably a nice flat or yeah. suite or something like that. It's amazing. Yeah. But, you know, hey – you could do this. You could do this. If you're on a lower budget, you know, you could wait, um, see what the weather does, because that always plays a factor. Some of the people that have tickets are trying to unload them there last minute. Mm-hmm. You might be able to pick one up the day before or day of. You know? How about just watch it on HDTV in the yeah. comfort of your own home? That's right. Pause it. Pop some popcorn. Hey, there that sounds go. like a plan Have to a me. Beer, maybe. DVR, rewind Absolutely. it and see the plays. There you go. Replay. Yeah, save that, you know, $10,000 you would have spent and put it in your Roth IRA. There you go. Plus, you get to see all the commercials. There you go. I yeah. mean, you miss the best the part yeah. if you go to the game. <laughs> yeah. Who would want to fly out there, go to the game? And yeah. I don't know. That's crazy to me. I mean, that's that's just crazy money, you know, to spend <laughs> that much on yeah. any kind of sporting event. But it's very interesting to see, you know, what's going on there. It'd be a great game, I hope. So Yeah, it should be fun. Should be fun. Should be. Okay, well that leads up to to the end of this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next Saturday from nine to ten AM. There are more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us on our website, moneymd.net, and email us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us directly at info at moneymd.net. Or give us a call during normal business hours. Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Ladies and gentlemen. Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed local provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor, security sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC. Thank you.